Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is, in fact, an honor and a privilege. Lewis Black is with me right now by phone, a stand-up comic, actor, author. You know who he is. Uh, he's going to be at the Schubert Theater in New Haven on Sunday, November 11th, just as we're sort of shaking off whatever the effects of the midterm elections might have been. It'll be at 7 p.m. It's part of his The Jokes on Us tour. Great to hear your voice, Mr. Lewis Black. Well, thank you. This is going to air in all probability on the Monday before Election Day. We're recording it on the Wednesday before that. And, you know, there's that whole idea that comedy is right in front of you. Just it's hard to see it sometimes. I don't know. I'm looking at page one of The New York Times today. I don't see it. I don't see anything remotely funny. I don't see anything that could even be turned into a dark joke uh, with one possible exception. I mean, could you react to that a little bit? You know, you can't, it's not on a daily basis, but yeah, I mean, basically, uh, you know, you don't have to look at the front page to know that the joke is that basically you can start with the fact there are no adults in the room, Yep. none, you know, and it's perfect because it's Halloween. There are probably more adults dressing up in costumes than there are children. I mean, it's beyond belief. (laughs) The only thing that I can see on page one that's that's sort of, it's not funny exactly, but uh, there's the in-prison murder of Whitey Bulger. And I always feel like if you're going to get around to killing somebody when they're 89, you've kind of missed the chance, really. It's sort of like in The Godfather where he goes back to Sicily and slits the throat of the old guy who you know, tried to kill him when he was a boy. It's like yeah. too late, right? It's way too late. It's, it's surprising you didn't gag on the prison food. It's unbelievable. Right. Struck down in the prime of life, Whitey. This will teach you. You're not going yeah, to make really. it to 90. So I, I want to talk just a, a little bit about what you're talking about these days. I have to say that... Anytime I'm looking at your schedule, which I do constantly, of course, I want to know where you are and what you're doing. And I see like Huntsville, Alabama or something like that. I always wonder, so what's it like when Lewis Black goes into Huntsville, Alabama? Is that the same experience as what you're going to have in New Haven? Or are you really working with an audience whose sensibilities are, are radically different? What's amazing is Huntsville is like going into New Haven, to be honest. To be honest yeah. Really. Yeah. Huntsville is, the story of Huntsville is... People don't really realize that it is not your normal Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, I've performed in Mobile and Birmingham, and there's a little bit. I do the same act wherever I am. So I'll switch it around a little, or I'll do a little tweak here and there, but nothing. It's, it's kind of drawing them into a thought that I have by slowing things down and kind of coming at them another angle. But I'm basically, it's the same joke. Mm-hmm. But Huntsville is the home of where all of the... Uh, rocket science that took us Ah. out of the atmosphere and got us to the uh, moon. All of that came out of Huntsville. So Werner von Braun and the Germans all went to Huntsville. Ah, so that was a bad example. Huntsville was the wrong example. Well, it's unbelievable, though, because it really was an extraordinary experience. And it was stunning because people, I travel everywhere. People will go to me, why are you going there? And I'll go, you've never been there, so you don't really know. (laughs) <laughs> and Huntsville is really extraordinary. Springfield, Missouri is really extraordinary. 
I mean, there are places that I've gone and I kind of go, wow, I can't believe this is occurring here. America, the, the map's changing. People really need to start paying more attention to it, and even though it feels like because of this big blasting horn of the, the media and the big blasting horn of the president, the, the ineptitude of Congress and all of it kind of rolling along with the, the madness of about 500 screens, that within that context, the country is kind of unbelievably remarkable from where it was when I started going on the road 25 years ago. I totally agree, and I was wrong to make Huntsville a dividing line. I've spent a lot of time in Alabama anyway, met lots of nice people there, more on the so-called redneck Riviera of Gulf Shores. But there's still, I don't know, I was watching a Bill Burr special recently that he's in the Ryman, I think, in Nashville. Yeah. And and people are not going for some of his stuff. So you don't encounter that in, in, uh, forget about Huntsville, there aren't places where you go in and do your stuff and people, they're just not going for it, just on the basis of politics. I yell at him. <laughs> well, you do have that yeah, option. I go and I go, you know, I've just been in 35 cities where they laughed at this, and what's your degree of difficulty here? <laughs> and you somehow miss the joke because you're tied up in a bunch of nonsense that you think is more important than laughter. So something's wrong with you. It's not wrong with me. And then sometimes I go, it's my fault when I don't get the laugh. And I go, something's wrong with me <laughs> and not you. But I'll yell at him about it. Well, there's also, I think, for people like me, I'm sitting up here in Connecticut with a certain level of geographical narcissism, thinking, wow, people are really angry down there, right? That's like all those red states where all those really angry people are, kind of forgetting that Connecticut people are not completely unfamiliar with anger. You've even, I think, said that you think Connecticut's kind of an angry place. Yeah, I do. And I do. I think it's angry because it's called the nutmeg state, and I've never seen nutmeg there. <laughs> but I, I mean, really, yeah. where is the nutmeg? Well, that's true. And there are like all kinds of complicated ideas, including one of the theories is that it has to do with grifters, really, that there were these peddlers who would sell wooden nutmegs. The state's motto actually maybe comes from someone trying to defraud somebody else. That's so funny. It would be like if New York was the Madoff state or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing is, too, about what's interesting, I don't know if it's changed, but when I lived in New Haven for five years yes. and um, the suburbs in New Haven, we would go outside to hang out of bars out there, and that was, we would find was just as kind of rednecky. Now, this is 25 years ago. I don't right. know what it's like now. But it was just as rednecky as all of the other places that were rednecky. It's amazing. That strip of redneck runs everywhere. I should say, so, so you, you must have been in New Haven about, what, 72 to 77, something like that? No, 74 to 79. Okay. So we were there at the same time. I was an undergraduate from 72 to 76. You were at yeah. YDS. I want to bring up something that's a little bit sad, but uh, going over your, your biography, uh, it jumped out at me. We both knew a guy named Rusty McGee. Uh, oh, yeah. And Rusty McGee is this, was this fabulously talented guy who was working on musicals. I was there watching him work on a musical. I think it was called 1919. It was about the Black Sox scandal. And this guy was kind of off the charts, talented uh, as a crafter of musicals. Died incredibly young. This is back in the days when, when you also were very much uh, invested in the idea of playwriting and stuff like that. I have often thought about doing a whole sh- show episode of like picking Rusty and two other people whose genius never really you know got all the way because they just died so young. I don't know. Yeah, him, Lori Beachman also died very young. There's a number of them, especially women like Marin Maisie just passed away. Yes. A lot of women passed away from. Uh, young, young, talented women passed away from ovarian cancer. Yeah. And Rusty passed away because the idiot didn't read the colonoscopy correctly. 
I was working with Rusty at that time, and we were running a room in New York City called the West Bank Cafe, and uh, he was a major talent. Oh, God, I mean, yeah. Major. Oh, and God. we had just started to do some gigs around and uh, outside of there because I was running around the country, and every so often I would bring him out as my opening act, and he was... Uh, Musically, as there are few as musically as gifted as he was. Yeah, no, we would be talking about his plays right now the way we're talking about maybe not quite Hamilton, but as, but close to it. I think. If yeah, he, no, he, was, uh, he just never had the opportunity to to play it up to play out his genius. So, not that many people make a transition. I don't think anyway. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Not that many people make a transition from playwright to stand up. I saw Arthur Miller's stand up set, and I I, I never thought. <laughs> That he, he really clicked with the audience the way he could have. Anyway. Well, that was dour. He was a little dour. For <laughs> Eugene O'Neill, very funny guy. His, his, his five minutes was terrific. So, no, I mean, I don't know. Who, who else besides you does this? It's an un- unusual thing to do. It was unusual. I think Robert Klein came out of the drama school and went mm-hmm. into stand-up, but he was an actor. A lot of actors do it. I don't think there are a lot of playwrights who do it actually. Um, They've known writers who've kind of dabbled in it, but for me, it just was, I was doing it on the side for fun, and what I guess the playwriting did was allow me to to really kind of learn how to instinctively write for myself and to tell stories. I'm wondering about that, too, because it seems as though, although a play ultimately takes place in front of an audience, the audience is in some way part of a collaboration between playwright, actors, director. But there's a way in which stand-up, I think every night, you create, you you have something that you've written that you're going to do. As you say, you don't do the jokes differently depending on where you are. But I've watched you on stage. You're you're creating something with the audience every night, right? Yeah, no, it is... uh... It has to do with my theater background. And also, I'm very conscious of the fact that that fourth wall is very tenuous to me because I played a lot of clubs. When that wall drops, you know, you'd be conscious of the fact that it drops and be able to play with it and play with the audience. And and I like playing with the audience. It's uh, You know, you end up going in there wanting it to be, they saw something that the next night, a different group of people will see something completely different. It's it's special for them, hopefully. Absolutely. So uh, let's hear a little bit of you with an audience. This is you in Orlando, Florida, sort of last week, urging people to vote. The reason you walk into a voting booth, don't give me this I ain't gonna vote it that night. I don't give a. I don't care that you don't think it makes a difference. You. People died so that you could go into that goddamn voting booth. And then maybe eventually it won't be just Democrats and Republicans. Maybe some other schmucks will show up who actually speak English and can talk to us and say things. Because I'll tell you, the reason you vote, quite simply, is this for those of you who are so difficult. You go in there and vote and because it's going to be the most miserable day you're going to have all year. And what's good about that is every day that follows you go, today was but at least I didn't have to vote. I guess I'll ask a specific question, which is, in a way that's become almost a cliche, Lewis Black and anger are inevitably linked. If you have a message to get across, you'll get it across in the angriest way you possibly can. When did you realize that your anger was funny? It really is what you learn when you you start to learn stand-up and you try to find what is unique about you and your vision or your voice. And um, somebody came up to me and said, you know, you're really angry and you're not yelling. <laughs> and you should be yelling. It was a comic I knew named Dan Ballard, and he said, you should be yelling. And he said, I'm not. I'm on stage yelling, and I'm not, there's no reason for me to be yelling. So when you go on stage, I just want you to yell the whole act. <laughs> 
And it was really literally a revelation. Because what I would do when I would yell, because I was so, just didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't understand the craft. I would turn around and face the wall and yell at the wall rather than yell at the audience. (laughs) But you don't yell all the time. I've seen your stand-up act. There's the famous uh, thing that Matt Damon recently did about Kavanaugh, and he comes out and he goes, I'm going to start at 11, and I'm going to take it up to 15 real quick. You don't do that. Uh, You don't start at 11. You build. I used to start at 11 and go to 15 and then go to 20. When I first started (laughs) running, going on the road and was playing clubs, and I wouldn't take a breath because I was afraid as soon as I did, they would come, you know, they, I would have hecklers. But since then, I've kind of learned that it's an instrument. You've got to kind of play all sorts of notes. There's all sorts of ways to express anger other than yelling. Do you think you really are an angry person or angrier than usual person? I mean, like right now, you don't seem that angry. No, I'm not. I don't think so. There's certain things that you push a certain button and I get enraged. I wake up and you're going to tell me you're sending you know, 8,000 troops down to, to meet 4,000 people who are wandering up, who are traveling 2,500 miles through hellish temperatures, humidity, and you're going to send people down there to stop them. Like the people just go, you know, that that's what people do, that they go 2,500 miles because they're, you know, you've got to be running from something that scares the hell out of you. Someone somewhere will crack the code at some point and flip it back. I almost feel as if there's like a dial and somebody flipped the dial over completely and we're it's it's just bizarre up is down down is up and eventually i believe we'll bounce back i truly believe that because i believe that most people in their heart of hearts in this country i have a tremendous amount of optimism because i believe really the american people get it most of them right you you might be one of the very few people experiencing optimism now and it might be have something to do with the fact that you have explored the depths of pessimism more fully than most of us well, uh, also because when something horrible happens people get in their cars and drive there and they don't know anybody who's there and right. they want to help yep they keep yelling about his base and all of that and it it really is just a lack of leadership from somebody coming from not just the Democrats, the Republicans. I mean, it's what I keep saying. There are no adults in the room. There has to be someone who stands up and acts like an adult. That's the hardest thing for me about comedy now. Yeah. My job as a comic is to be the kid. Mm-hmm. I'm the child. I'm the guy who points at these people and goes, look at that. Ha, ha, ha. His pants are down. And now I'm forced to be the one to be the adult. Right. And that's not funny. That dynamic isn't funny. Yeah. Uh, But I have to stand there at times and go, look, you've got to be an adult. Well, it is. You can't allow this nonsense to go on. It is. You you know, no one came out and said anything. Nobody (laughs) from either side came out and really went, here's what I've got to say about this. Okay, we're like at eight or nine right now. That's good. Um, (laughs) And but, you know, it is potentially funny that you have to do this. It's not funny in uh, in the way of our living our lives, but the notion that Lewis Black has to come and explain to the president of the United States how to be a civil person, to engage in civil dialogue with other people, the idea that you are thrust into the role of kindergarten teacher, that is yeah. sort of funny. It is funny. And I actually have a, uh, a section of my act that goes into it. Well, let's, let's talk about how your anger is so famous that almost at the level of Greek myth, it's been turned into an abstraction. Let's hear what that sounds like. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He 
cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this! Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. This is the movie Inside Out. What was it like for you, first of all, to be approached about this idea that you would become kind of the abstraction and embodiment of anger? That was a tremendous compliment. <laughs> I'd, I'd accomplished something with this nonsense, and it, that it made a difference. And, and to be in that movie, in that animation, was kind of extraordinary because it was really, uh, I think it was an important piece of work because my generation literally was born and raised without any sense of what emotions were. <laughs> like, it wasn't until most of my generation was in their late 30s before they went, oh, that's right, there's more than just hunger. <laughs> you know, kids really got... I would have loved to have seen this movie when I was seven or eight years old and then seen it again at nine so that I began to understand, oh, there's this, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this. I have a, a quick story that I, I think I can tell it quickly that you might find amusing that I have really never told publicly before about this movie. So I'm somebody who does not use any drugs. I just, I'm not a drug person. I'm an alcohol person. Uh, I'm not proud of that. And so somebody, I'm not going to say who, and I've never also ever told that person this story, but somebody gave me some sublingual medical marijuana, which I tried. And my reaction was to com be completely convinced that I was dying. That was like the only. Uh, yeah, and so so the person in my house said, well, why don't you try to watch something kind of comforting? And so I kept trying to watch. I tried to watch Enchanted and I couldn't understand it. The plot was like way too complicated. So then I made the mistake of switching to Inside Out, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> like this this notion of these strange little uh, emotional abstractions walking around t talking. I was truly, it was like I couldn't have been more scared if I'd watched some amalgam of Halloween and The Exorcist. It was like this completely <laughs> terrifying movie. Oh, yeah, and especially with those visuals. Oh! <laughs> So you and I are having a similar uh, reaction to our own generation, to baby boomers, to being baby boomers. I'm going to play a little clip. This is from a set that you did, I think, in 2015. And if you provided us with the proper seating <laughs> and proper plumbing and brought us whatever nutrition and drinks, drugs, whatever it takes to sustain life in our body, we would sit there until the day we died and talk to you about any goddamn thing you wanted we don't have to know it nuclear physics son of a i thought you'd never ask and then we'll go on to do what we were born to do which is bull we're magnificent at it you kids out there you're interested in facts That'll serve you in good stead. We never had an interest in facts, which is why things have turned out the way they are. But we were more creative. What do we know about nuclear physics? We know probably neutron, proton, molecule, atom. Four words, and we'll sit there and go on for hours. Hours, just weaving tales of nonsense, and we don't have a all idea of what we're talking about. But we don't care. We just enjoy listening to the sound of our own goddamn voices. This is exactly Lewis Black. We should say, by the way, Lewis Black is who I'm talking to. He's going to be in New Haven on 11-11. That should be easy for you to remember. That's November 11th at the Schubert Theater in New Haven. This is where my mind has been going a lot lately. And, and one of the places that I've seen it turning up, turning up, it really bothers me, are 
people from our generation who do this thing, I guarantee you've heard them do this, where they say, I don't like hip hop. I just, I don't even know if it's music, you know, like Cardi B, what does she do? Who, you know, who is she? Should I, you know, and I'm thinking, we made everybody listen to our music. We thought anybody who didn't like our music in 1972 was some yeah. kind of fascist jerk. But now it's kind of like, I don't think I like that. I don't really identify with that. Like, it has to justify itself to our generation. There has never been a more self-involved group of people, unfortunately, than we are. Sadly. Well, I mean, it, was, it became that because uh, we were going to change the world, and then we realized that we weren't going to do that. So we, we kind of wandered off <laughs> into the woods. I want to ask you about whether you think doing the kind of comedy that you do is therapeutic for you. I actually read somewhere where you said that somebody tested your blood pressure. Or there was somebody from Esquire yeah. early, early on hooked me up to a uh, blood pressure monitor and then would taunt me with stuff and I would yell and scream. And then <laughs> we would wait to see how fast it would be for my um, blood pressure to return to normal. And it was like within two minutes. It was crazy. <laughs> So it might be a, you're, you recently turned 70. I hope I'm allowed to say yeah. that. And you sound like you're thriving. Maybe this is like the best thing you could be doing. Well, I think that yelling and screaming helps. I think that <laughs> using that F word is, uh, you know, if you let that rip once a day, that'll help. It gets rid of some, it gets rid of toxins. Right. I really I kind of believe that. I think that it, just letting it go, because people always come up to me and go, boy, you kind of do that. You know, you do what I would like to do, or you're the funny version of my father. And I think that that kind of anger makes it, you know, that if you let it rip, you know, find a space for it, that it gets rid of a lot of stuff. It's like, you know, I mean, some people jog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I bargained for a half an hour of your time. I've gotten it. Uh, I'm thrilled to have gotten it, Lewis Black. I'll just end with one or two quick questions. It's about when you want to watch some stand-up, who do you watch? Kathleen Madigan is a good friend of mine. I think she's coming into her own mm -hmm. right now. I mean, she's always been really funny, but she's really hit her stride now. She's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, Netflix, Ted Alejandro has a new uh, special. Yeah. Bill Burr, I really love. Gaffigan, Judy Gold. Mm -hmm. um, the list is really kind of endless. Yeah. You like comedians. I really do like a lot of them. My friend Mike Wilmot out of Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I really could go on and on and on. <laughs> Well, uh, Lewis Black, uh, we like you. We're excited that you're coming to New Haven on November 11th to the Schubert Theater. Thanks, Lewis. Bye-bye. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Hey. Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the key